0: Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark.
1: And I'm Bethan. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you for joining us once again this week.
0: Shall we take a moment to thank our most recent Patreon supporters?
1: Yes, please. Go ahead, Mark. Say thank you to them because they are glorious people.
0: They are. Thank you so much to each and every one of you, and of course to all of our new supporters over the past week. So that's Colette Westall, Laura Binglow, April rain Caitlin, Mia, Katie, Gaynor, Tommy Rappers, and Hannah Kay. Thank you so much to all of you. Uh, it makes a massive difference to us. If you are able to, and if you would like to support us that way, then it does make a big difference. So all you need to do is head over to patreon.com
1: I'd also like to do a quick shout out and a thank you to Kat Yaff who has released her third novel Um, she very kindly gave us a free copy a signed copy to give away to one of our listeners so um, by the time this episode comes out the winners have already been drawn I've already told them they'll probably have their book by the time that they hear this episode but congratulations to Susan and also to Joanne as well and congratulations to Kat for her third novel and if anybody's interested in reading her books There's um, a couple of different posts on our social media. So please do head over and have a look at them. I personally have read them all and I do genuinely enjoy her story. So I've got the new episode, uh, new episode, new book ready to read. (laughs) (laughs) New episode. So this week we are heading to a very grim place with the show and I would like to suggest that you do not listen if you are eating because after being reminded of a case on Crime Wave recently, I have chosen to cover cannibalism in this week's episode. So before we get to the case specifically, we're going to take a bit of time to discuss cannibalism itself and it's a really fascinating subject to research but one that I do think has now put me on kind of a watch list or some sort of government thing i'm a bit worried now so in short cannibalism describes an individual consuming part of another individual of the same species as food so human cannibalism is the act or the practice of humans eating the flesh or internal organs of another human being and a person who practices cannibalism is called a cannibal There has been evidence of cannibalism for as long as we have existed. So apparently Neanderthals are believed to have practiced cannibalism and they were likely eaten themselves as well by early modern humans. So even that far back, they were potentially eating each other or the two kind of very similar species were eating each other as well cannibalism has been well documented in much of the world and it's known to have taken place throughout history across the globe and there are many reasons behind it so some are a bit more understandable for us like if there's been a major famine for example but other times the practice is a lot harder to get your head around I think for us in our situations so one form of cannibalism popular in early modern Europe that I was really interested researching for this episode was the consumption of body parts or blood for medical purposes and i can acknowledge the thought process behind this but it just seems bonkers
0: so what why though what kind of medical reasons
1: so the practice was at its height in the 17th century had been going on for a few hundred years and basically it was remedies and um ways to potentially make yourself better by ingesting human body parts basically so it was kind of really popular in Europe and many Europeans and it was a lot of the time it was royalty priests and scientists they routinely ingested remedies containing human bones blood and fat and this was medicine genuinely for anything so headaches all the way to epilepsy there was some sort of tincture or drink or paste or something that you would eat That was made of humans
0: in a way it kind of makes sense doesn't it i think i'm not saying that that would definitely work but you would almost sort of think to heal a part of your body maybe ingesting a part of someone else's body would fix it i don't know does that make sense if you don't have modern
1: science yeah if you don't have modern science knowledge yeah i remember this was a, a kind of subject at school that i was absolutely fascinated by medicine throughout time and the fact that Even way back when, when they would do trepanning, which is like, or trefining, I never know how you're supposed to say it because everyone says it differently, but where they'd drill a hole into your skull. Back in the day, that would just be, they'd get a nail and they'd hammer it into your head. But there was some semblance of thought behind it because you can have pressure build up or blood build up in your brain and in your skull and you may need to release that pressure, but it still doesn't really work to just stick a nail in your skull but it's just fascinating isn't it and actually skull was one of the common elements for ingredients back in the 17th century so it was powdered and it was then used to cure head ailments and there was a specific drink that combined powdered human skull and chocolate which was supposed to be a cure for bleeding so King Charles II of England was known to sip on the king's drops which was his personal tincture that was human skull in alcohol And then also rubbing fat into the skin was considered to be a remedy for gout. Not really sure how that's going to help gout, but there we go. Blood was procured as fresh as possible. So whilst it was still thought to contain the vitality of the body, but obviously that's a little bit more challenging to get hold of the poor, who couldn't always afford processed compounds that were sold in apothecaries, would go and stand by executions. So they'd pay a small amount for a cup of the still warm blood of the condemned. Isn't that creepy?
0: This is just, it's even worse than I thought it would be, because obviously I know the case that you're going to be coming on to shortly, and that's awful, but this alone is in itself. I never knew all of this, and this is just We're only five
1: minutes in. Yeah, it's already
0: turning my stomach, honestly.
1: So, not only was there the side of history with medicine but for the aztecs cannibalism was motivated by a belief that this was a way to commune with the gods so they genuinely believed that and the maori are said to have eaten the flesh of opponents defeated in battle as a way of warning off other enemies and do you know what i can understand the thinking behind that i can understand that that would put absolute fear into your enemies wouldn't it they've they're so ruthless they killed these people and they're eating them And in Africa, cannibalism has been linked to sorcery and beliefs that certain powers could be gained through the uh, consumption of human flesh, which, again, I have heard of.
0: I think I've heard of that. And it's the forbidden as well, isn't it? Because really, you would never eat another part of another human, someone of your own species. So it's almost like, well, if we do do that, maybe that's the missing link and that will give us these weird powers because no one's maybe done it before as far as they're concerned. So. Yeah, I can understand trying it out, but yeah, I'm shocked it's so prevalent in in history going back so far.
1: And to be honest, not just in history as well, because there's there's a lot more recent cases as well. The other kind of side to this, though, which I think we can all understand a lot more, is people who feel they have no other option. So, for example, there was a group of American pioneers known as the Donner Party who migrated to California in a wagon train from the Midwest in the late 1800s. They spent the winter of 1846 to 1847 snowbound in a mountain range and some of those migrants resorted to cannibalism to survive. So people who had succumbed to starvation, sickness and the extreme cold then became food and sustenance and that the rest of the people were able to survive that winter. You can kind of get that can't you
0: yeah that makes sense I think everybody would understand that nobody would necessarily want to have to resort to that but ultimately that survival instinct kicks in and it's a case of you either die or you do what you have to do to be able to eat and live so yeah I guess you don't really have much power or control over what your body craves and you just kind of get on with it and do it I think we'd all do that if we had to if it's a life or death scenario
1: And that's the other one that's quite a recent but well-known case is where survivors of the Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571, um, when it crashed in 1972, they found themselves left with no other option for survival than to resort to cannibalism. So that flight crashed in the Andes Mountains on October the 13th, 1972. The people weren't rescued until late December 1972. So the rest of October, all of November, and some of December. And basically, they initially described surviving on cheese and other food that they'd carried with them, um, local plants and herbs, and they did plan to discuss the details of how they survived, including cannibalism, but they wanted, and they agreed as a group, to discuss this in private with their families so they could let their families know what they'd had to do because it wasn't something they were proud of or anything like that. They they'd had to do this. But those people didn't get the chance so photos of half-eaten body parts began to be published in papers and rumours immediately began to circulate that the survivors had eaten other passengers. So on the 28th of December they held a press conference and they recounted the events of that 72-day where they'd been left and they didn't know whether they were going to get rescued. And they did receive public backlash initially but they managed to explain it in a way that people understood. The group had made a pact that if they sacrificed themselves, the others would be able to survive. So they kind of made that pact of, well, if I'm gonna die anyway, I allow you to eat me and those people then would say, Okay, we will take that sacrifice you've made, and we will survive and be grateful to you. So they managed to explain it in a way that made sense, but I did feel really sorry for them because they'd decided to come out, talk to their family, and then come public, and they got that taken away from them.
0: Did um have you seen the movie based on on that, it's a brilliant film. I think I it's called not. Alive. I think it's called Alive. Oh, it's brilliant film, yeah. Documents it really well, and you do. I think you do. Watching the film, you do have sympathy for them because they had no other option. So, of course they they did what they had to do, and they it's yeah, it's shown very well in the film because they didn't want to do it, but they they literally had no choice. So, it's understandable.
1: But whilst we can understand those reasons for cannibalism, there are people like Jeffrey Dahmer. Isisagawa, Sagawa. I don't know if I said that correctly, but you covered that case, didn't you, Mark?
0: Yeah, I remember that, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Um, Albert Fish, there are many others. People who suffer from mental illness who engage in cannibalism for sexual pleasure. Yeah,
0: And along of that. with the
1: cannibalism in these cases, it's the murder of the victim. That's the person who's ultimately going to be eaten.
0: Yeah, but I, I suppose a bit like ne- necrophilia, sometimes the murder of the victim is is just the only way that they can satisfy the urge that they have. So if yeah. if you derive sexual pleasure from cannibalism, you're not necessarily deriving pleasure from murdering people, but it's the only way you're going to be able to fulfil that desire, like David Fuller, that necrophile, yeah. at those hospitals in Kent. He wasn't necessarily, he didn't want to necessarily kill people, he just wanted to engage in necrophilia.
1: Yeah, that's it. And so is cannibalism actually illegal here in the UK right now? I fucking
0: hope so, Bethan.
1: Well, no. Many countries, including the UK, don't actually have specific legislation against cannibalism. And as long as the person being eaten is willing, signs to confirm this does not die or is not maimed in the process of getting the flesh, cannibalism is not illegal.
0: In a way, I can understand it, because where do you draw the line? If I... If I ate a bit of your this is gross, but if I ate a bit of your fingernail, Bethan, for example, oh. <laughs> why are we having this conversation, <laughs> but that would um, that would be cannibalism, technically. So, if it was illegal, then I could be tried in a court for that. So, that wouldn't really make sense. It's gross.
1: Your example's gross, but I know where you're going with that. Because, for example, some people like to pick their scabs and eat them.
0: That is not me. That is
1: disgusting. But I know that some people do. But technically, you're eating your own flesh.
0: Yeah, but I I would say that's okay if you're doing it to yourself because I bite my nails. Um, but I think it it would be picking someone else's scab and, and, and eating it. Eat, oh. yeah. um, and also, I do know Why that some... Why
1: is this so disgusting when we know what we're talking about is people willingly do it. But for us, even that is just so it's gross. It's gross,
0: yeah. And some people do uh, drink other people's blood as well. That's a thing. Not people that kind of say they're vampires and stuff and buy into all of that. But some people just get a kind of, maybe it's a sexual pleasure, I don't know, from drinking other people's blood. So, again, that's cannibalism. So I can kind of understand why it's not illegal in a way.
1: Yeah. And there's a guy called Rick Gibson. He became the first public legal cannibal in the UK in 1980. He ate donated tonsils from a friend as part of a public exhibition. And later he was able to eat human testicles in a similar situation. This is legal because the friend wasn't killed or maimed. You can have your tonsils removed and it's not an issue had fully consented, was of sound mind, and the act took place in a manner that was on public display. However, whilst cannibalism may not technically be classed as illegal, it's effectively outlawed due to other laws. So to maim or kill someone is illegal. So you can't just kill someone or or even maim them in order to... And this is kind of the element that links back to the case we were talking about on crime wave, where people were having surgeries performed to remove body parts, like the guy had his leg removed and his penis, which is why we had I don't know how many different ways of saying the word "dick" on the episode, but that was that's kind of the element of that. You're not allowed to just maim a human being, um, and the body part needs to be something where the removal of it definitely didn't cause death or isn't classed as GBH as well. So something like a tonsil removal is not an issue, but you can't chop off someone's arm or leg to eat it.
0: But I tell you what, they could chop it off if they wanted to of their own volition and you could then eat it and that's not a crime.
1: Yeah, but then are they going to be able to perform that surgery on themselves and not bleed to death?
0: Well, I suppose, I, yeah, potentially not, but if somebody know. if somebody just cut but off yeah. the tip of their finger on purpose, which you could do and survive easily, or your ear, you could cut your ear off, something like that, and someone could eat it. No crime's been committed.
1: And I suppose it's a bit like roadkill, isn't it? You can't take something home if you're the one who killed it, but the person behind you can stop their car and go home and eat a fox.
0: Can and I have. <laughs>
1: Oh, God. I know for a fact that you would be too (laughs) squeamish to pick up some roadkill. You definitely wouldn't put roadkill in your car.
0: No. Ugh, gross. No. No. No.
1: And the 2004 Human Tissue Act, which covers England, Wales and Northern Ireland, legislates against the possession of human tissue without consent. So there's a big element there of consent as well. So you can't be in possession. It again goes back to that guy... Um Rick, because Rick Gibson had all of these he had the permission he had the consent. it was done in a public manner so it wasn't being hidden. There's a lot yeah. of elements to this, so that is fine so basically, to ensure the act of eating another person's flesh was not illegal, you'd have to make sure this was in a public or a videoed setting where the video is available for public viewing just to make sure that that's then um you're not hiding it. however, that then falls under the common law offense of outraging public decency. So all these ways that you may think you can get around cannibalism, there's going to be another way that someone could convict you. And so that's how they, it's not legal, but actually it is legal. Does this make any sense?
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. They've almost made it illegal by as a byproduct of all of the other laws that would facilitate cannibalism so yeah it does make sense so in a way it you could if you were very careful you could just about engage in cannibalism legally but you'd need to do an awful lot of research around the different laws that would facilitate that
1: so now that i've put you all off your food it's time to crack on with this week's main case and i was telling mark and crime about how this case is one that i actually remember happening but i don't know if i would have known about it at the time because i was about 11 years old However, I was really into reading books about serial killers and mysteries and stuff. So I just don't know.
0: Yeah, I think if, if I think I'm bad now, I was probably at my peak at 11 years old. So if you were anything like me, you possibly were aware of this. And you could have been totally engrossed in it and fascinated by it at 11 years old, Maybe which is quite disturbing. But I know I would have been.
1: Maybe it's more likely I heard about it a few years later. But either way, this case has just not left my mind. And I think the reason it's so intriguing to me is that it's not this fully black and white, right and wrong, open and shut case. And although it is a case of cannibalism, it isn't like your season six, episode 21 case of Izzy Sagawa. Have I said that better that time, Mark? Yeah,
0: I think that's right. Yeah.
1: Um, so Mark presented that solo a couple of years back, a really good episode. Go back and listen if you haven't listened, guys. But this isn't along those lines. There's so much to do with consent in this case. And whilst I don't think I'll ever fully understand the wishes of these men involved, there's a lot that sits behind the scenes in their mindsets for the motivation. So today we're going to be discussing Armin Mivis and Bert Brandes. But before we begin, let's hear from our show sponsor. Armin Mivis was born on December 1st, 1961, in Essen in Germany. At the age of five, Mivis's father left his mother and followed shortly by Armin's older half-brothers. So they kind of left as well. And he didn't see them again. So he kind of grew up in this really large farmhouse with just his mum and his books for company. And I say farmhouse, but this was a huge 700-year-old building. And reports vary about the number of bedrooms, but the majority of sources say that it had 44 bedrooms and it was particularly grand. So this kid has just suddenly been and left just him and his mum in this massive house. Armin's mum was interesting, and that's a nice way of putting it. So she dressed herself and her son in medieval clothing, and apparently she really thought of herself as like this grand lady of the manor and kind of would put on an act, but just her and her son in the house, it's a bit of an odd one. And I also read somewhere that he apparently would be called girls' names by his mum, I haven't been able to actually check on that, but I read somewhere that that's something she did. So that's going to have its own issues, I'm sure. Going to have a bit of a wondering about your own your own sort of identity if your mum's dressing you up in different clothes and calling you loads of different names. She absolutely doted on her son, and the pair were incredibly close. Armin grew up surrounded by books and reports vary on what he liked to read. But the two main stories that are mentioned in discussions about this case are children's books that involve elements of cannibalism and kind of for obvious reasons, people would focus on these two. So some say he was particularly fascinated by fairy tales, that Mivis grew up reading these twisted tales and the one that really stood out to him was when he read Hansel and Gretel. So that story features an evil witch who abducts two children to fatten them up for slaughter he didn't long for that house decorated like with sweets that's what I always wanted I wanted a house made of sweets but no he wanted to eat another human being other people talk of him reading Robinson Crusoe and being obsessed by the scene where he rescues Man Friday from a mob of cannibals so some people have said that was an element of a of a story that he read and to be honest it it could be both those are both classic stories that most people read
0: and and also as children, we we were and are fascinated by those disturbing tales, aren't we? Roald Dahl was known for really disturbing Absolutely. stories. Yeah, yeah, kids don't want to read uh, really happy stuff. They want to hear about things that frighten them.
1: Yeah. Either way, it depends on what story it is, it might not have been either of those stories. But as a child, he was suddenly and unexpectedly abandoned by his father Mavis became obsessed with this idea of eating other humans. He created an imaginary brother for himself, someone who he could both confide in about this longing that he had, but also someone he could fantasise about eating so he could keep him with him forever. And as he grew up, he started to dream of eating his classmates so that they would also become a part of him and they could stay with him forever. He didn't want people to leave him. He didn't want to go through what he'd gone through when his dad just literally got in the car and drove away one day. And Myvis is described about how he just was watching him go and he was shouting out, like, well, don't go. And his dad just drove off and didn't even look back. So you can understand why people not leaving him was so key.
0: Yeah, the psychology of it is, it's quite basic, isn't it? It's, as a child, I can understand that that might be the only way you can think of, of keeping somebody with you forever
1: by eating them. Yeah. And then as he developed into a teen the eating fantasies became mixed with sexual fantasies. So they were kind of intertwined in his mind. As he grew into a man, that became his fetish. He was fascinated with true crime and serial killers. And the idea of eating another human became this real obsession for him. To bury the feelings he had, Myvis started to drink alcohol in a bid to not feel the way he did to suppress those urges. And he did seem to hide that dark side of himself really well. He joined the army at one point and he did do well there but he had to leave after some drink driving accidents. But he did continue to keep down jobs. He was a genuine member of the local community. He helped locals with their computers. He had friendly encounters with his neighbours. He was perhaps seen as a little bit odd, a bit of a loner who spent the majority of his time with his mum. But it wasn't that weird to people, really. We all know somebody who still lives with their parents as an adult that maybe is a little bit more of a loner and you just don't think that they're fantasizing secretly about eating people do you
0: no it's it's i'd never ever judge anything like that i think it's more it's more the people that hide in plain sight the people that masquerade people like christopher halliwell as a family man a good neighbor a good friend a laugh down the pub that are secretly leading double lives those are the people the jimmy savills the the people that do Hide in plain sight. Those are the people that concern me more than those that uh, are are a little bit different to the majority of the rest of us.
1: I completely agree with you there. That is so true. And I do also think that this is the 80s um, and the 90s. So not moving out of your parents' house wasn't such a problem. Whereas nowadays, people live with their parents for a lot longer. But also, he was living in this house that's a massive, like 40-odd bedroom house. It's not like you're living in this, you're not still sharing a bedroom with her or anything. It's not that unusual. Why wouldn't you live in that house? It's big enough. So it's kind of, nobody really thought too much of it. He was just, and people would come round to the house as well. It wasn't like completely loners, as in nobody came round. They had visitors. But things really came to a head when Armin's mother died in 1999. So he was in his late 30s. Suddenly his mum wasn't with him. This woman who he'd literally spent most of his time with since he was five. And Armin found he was being drawn more and more to those dreams of cannibalism. He spent a year kind of alone in this vast house, reading serial killer biographies and going onto the internet and discovering more and more about the internet and what that had available to him. He found loads of internet porn and obviously 1999, this was quite major. This was like very new. It was a real dawn of people being able to find whatever they wanted on the internet. He was able to find porn that featured torture and pain. And also through those internet sites, Myvis found his way into his first chat rooms about cannibalism and he could speak to like-minded people. Described as his second life, this was when Mivis really came into his own. Now, he was not only this computer repair technician who mowed his neighbour's lawn, helped friends fix their cars, hosted charming dinner parties, he was also able to discuss true crime cases and the most evil elements of human nature with other people. It was... A mad time, wasn't it, really? We've talked about this before, how chat rooms became such a big thing. You just randomly ask ASL and chat to absolute strangers. And I just still find it so ridiculous that we used to do this. What's ASL? No. What's
0: ASL? Age, sex, location. Oh, my God. Yeah, I do remember that. Age,
1: sex, location, Mark. You go ASL and they'd be like, oh, I'm 20 from this part of America. Because we'd always pretend we were from, like, what was it? We would always put Beverly Hills because that was the only zip code that we knew as British kids who didn't really know much. So 90210 was the only thing we knew. And <laughs> we'd be like, w-? we'd just lie and we'd just chat to people who were clearly lying too. It's terrifying now, really, isn't it? Uh, it,
0: it does worry me with, with children in particular. I think adults and you know young adults can do anything they want to do really and if they want to chat to people all over the world it can be a great thing to connect with people that you wouldn't ordinarily get to speak to but yeah there's just this huge uh, risk with children in particular and just generally of people trying to scam each other and not really being truthful I never actually really did it it just kind of passed me by um, when chat rooms were a big thing but I remember it and yeah, I just, I never really got into it. But I remember we've spoken before and and you were sort of, you loved it.
1: Well, I only got to do it if I went to a friend's house who had the internet that she was allowed to do stuff. Like she had AOL, which was how you could get onto things. Whereas we didn't have, I can't even really, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have really been aware of what the different types of internet were, but I guess maybe different browsers were different then. You used to have to type www dot at the beginning, didn't you?
0: You did, and you'd have to forsake (laughs) forsake your landline and listen to that horrible noise as it dialed up the internet. Sounded like the end of the world, yeah.
1: Yep, if your mum was on the phone, you were not allowed to go on the internet until she was finished. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just, this was a real dawn of people having more connections. These are people that Armin Maivis could... Properly talk to about these fantasies he was having and potentially not feel judged. He couldn't have said that to any of the people he met in real life. He couldn't have talked about this around the dinner table.
0: And what this would have done is normalise his thought process, those dreams of cannibalism. He would have been creating his own echo chamber of this is what I want to do and be getting that back from other people around the world. Yeah, me too. And yeah. then it does normalise those thoughts that he's having.
1: Mm hmm. This was it. Myvis was buzzing to have this link to other people around the world. The site he used most was called The Cannibal Cafe and he posted under various pseudonyms looking to connect with gay men who had cannibalistic fantasies and fetishes. He met a number of men in hotel rooms who wanted to roleplay the act with him but nobody was quite right. They either only wanted to roleplay cannibalism or they kind of went too far the other way. Mivis actually turned one guy down because he asked to be beaten to death. That just wasn't what Mivis was into, wasn't what Mivis wanted. But equally, roleplay wasn't good enough either. He wouldn't want to just pretend to eat someone and then have sex with them. He wanted to eat somebody. The other thing for Armin was that, that was really key was that the person he ate had to be fully consenting. They had to want to be eaten by him. They had to want to be with him forever which is what he felt somebody would do or something would happen to that person when he ate them. So he placed wanted ads for a young, well-built man who wanted to be eaten and he was very upfront about what he wanted. He posted under the name The Rottenberg Cannibal saying, and obviously I'm going to mention this is written this way because English wasn't his first language, I search a young boy between 18 and 25 years old, have you a normal body, I'm butchering you and eating your horny flesh.
0: Mm. So sounds fit it's not
1: like he's he you know he wants he wants consent I think that's something that I keep going back to with this but I think it's really in really key it's it creeps me out I know you're being sarcastic it does not sound attractive at all does it but he is only wanting the one person who does think this is sexy oh, it's just creepy to say yeah that's
0: all yeah it's vile isn't it to to say I want want to eat your horny flesh those those are just not words you hear put together very often. But yeah, th- there's something in it, isn't there, that he wants permission from... The, you can't even really call them a victim because he wants a willing participant. And that there's something in that as to why, why they need to be so willing. I, d- I don't know what it is, but it's very interesting.
1: Mm. And it didn't take long before people did get back in touch with Myvis. So, in fact, a number of men did reply... And would talk to him, and one even came really close to being a victim. But like you said, victim doesn't quite feel like the the right word. came close to being a willing participant. Um, because a man called Borg Jose agreed. Basically, they got to the point where Mivis had laid him out on a table and had apparently even started to draw, like, you know, like the lines of where meat cuts are. And they were really talking about this. It was he was definitely gonna butcher this man, and then he really changed his mind. He suddenly felt really ill. He excused himself and off he went. And for Mivis, that must have felt like his dream was never going to come true. He got so close and then this person changes their mind. And obviously for Armin Mivis, he couldn't then just kill the guy anyway. He needed that permission. So obviously Borg Jose had just left. I kind of feel for Mivis here that he's just kind of just left in his home thinking... Like, no one's ever going to go through with this. I'm the only one who actually wants this.
0: Yeah, he's he's ultimately been left with blue balls, hasn't he? Because, you know, this, yeah. this is... Um, uh,
1: That's a lovely way of isn't putting it? it, Mark. Yeah,
0: but I, I do... Yeah, regardless of what <laughs> the situation is, I suppose... It's uh, they are consenting and they've agreed up to this point and yeah, Mivis is, is very gonna be very excited about the fact that this is finally happening, and then at the last second it's taken away from him. So yeah, it would have been it would have been a tremendous disappointment for him, wouldn't it, at that point?
1: But finally, along came forty-three year old engineer Bernd Brandis. On March the sixth, two thousand and one, the pair chatted. Brandish using the name Kater 99 telling Mivis that he wanted his penis to be bitten off and he wanted to be killed. He was fully on board with Mivis and his dreams for cannibalism and he agreed with Mivis's proposal, a bit of which stated, "'After you're dead, I'll take you out and expertly carve you up. "'Except for a pair of knees and some fleshy trash, "'so you know, the skin, cartilage, tendons, "'there won't be much of you left. "'I'll dry out the knees and I'll grind them up soon after. "'You won't be the last.' Hopefully. I've already considered catching a young person from the street. So he was fully on board with this. And Mivis is being quite open and honest with what he's going to do. But you can see that he's he's actually getting to the point where he's considering taking someone without their consent. So this is really major for him. He wants this person.
0: Yeah, he's getting desperate now to fulfil this. it does worry
1: me that he says, yeah, really desperate. But it worries me that he says you won't be the last, hopefully. Yeah. Because yeah, when can you ever stop then? Armin Mivis and Burnt Brandis continued exchanging passionate messages online and discussing this shared fantasy, and before long it was time to put their plan into action. So what had brought Brandis to this point? His childhood had been rather lonely, his mum died when he was young, and when he came out as gay, his dad abandoned him. He began to feel as though he was worthless and not useful to anyone. As an adult he had good jobs, he got on with his colleagues and by this point in 2001 when he was 43 years old he'd been living with a guy called Rene for a few years. He didn't want to admit that he was gay, he didn't tell anyone officially that the pair were a couple. They tended to keep keep themselves to themselves rather than be immersed in sort of the gay scene. But to anyone looking in and even to Rene I imagine this was a really normal and dare I say it quite boring relationship Brandis would go to work, he kind of kept himself to himself a bit, but he was known, you know, people knew who he was, people would chat to him, but Brandis was hiding a secret. He wanted to be hurt, to experience pain, and it's been said that he genuinely felt that the only way he could ever be fully useful to another human being was for them to eat him, so he could be their fuel and keep them sustained. And I, it breaks my heart, really, because I bet to Renee, he was so useful in... As in, as a loving partner, I just... It makes my heart break that these abandonment issues that he had as a child made him feel like that was the only way he could ever be useful to another person.
0: I just wonder, with people like this guy, do they just think too much? Is I, I just... I don't know. I suppose they've got so much... so many issues and that's how it's manifested, so fair enough. But, yeah, I just think it's almost... They're just thinking about things just a bit too much. I don't know. Because you're right, he, he would have been useful to his partner and to his employer and to his customers if he had a job like that. So this isn't the only way that he could truly ever be useful, but it's almost like he's just he's just dwelled on this and and got to this weird point that nobody else would ever really get to.
1: Yeah, and sadly, a lot of people's parents pass away when they're young or leave and again sadly there are people whose parents disown them when they say something as and the parent can't deal with it so like in this case he came out gay and his dad abandoned him that's absolutely shit to lose your mum and then also your dad but you're not the only person that's ever happened to and yeah he's kind of then focusing almost on the wrong side rather than okay but I've got this loving partner and I can focus that way he's his attention is completely focused on this side to I need another person to consume me and I need to feel what he described as the ultimate pain that was one of the ways he described it he said he wanted to feel ultimate pain because then he'd feel something and then he'd die and that person would consume him and he'd be able to sustain that person's life and existence
0: I think it's almost like we try, we, we, everybody tries to rationalize irrational, an irrational thought process. So you're never going to make sense of it because it's irrational, isn't it, to think what he's thinking?
1: Because I'm absolutely petrified of wasps uh, to the point where I hyperventilate. And it's really weird because my brain knows if I hear a buzzing like behind me, it could be a massive bee. I won't even flinch. I can kind of be like, oh, there's a bee behind me. If it's a wasp, my brain knows and I literally, my palms go. But the stupid, irrational way that I react is I run. Mm. I just, I've dropped my shopping in the middle of a town centre before in a car park and just run and then had to come back really embarrassed afterwards because I just literally just dropped all my shopping on the floor and just ran, just left it all in the middle of a car park. And Chris was like, what are you doing? And I was like, there was a wasp. He was like, yeah, I know there was a wasp, but it would have flown away if you'd have just stood still. I just can't. And it's a very, very small version of that. But you sometimes just can't change how you react to something.
0: Yeah, or you can with a lot of work.
1: Yeah. Or somebody doesn't tell you that you could. Yeah, somebody exactly. Doesn't Someone doesn't know. Yeah. And say that you need help. Yeah. Yeah, because Renee wouldn't have known that Brandis felt this way. He kept it so secret and so private. mm So as long as having their sort of normal standard relationship, behind the scenes, Brandis was off and a sex worker kind of described an interaction they had where Brandis had paid him, but not just for sex, but to hurt him. So he did because, you know, he's a sex worker. He'll do what he needs to. But Brandis then asked the sex worker to cut his penis off. So it wasn't just a bit of, you know, slapping or whipping or whatever they wanted to do behind the scenes in their sex games that was their sort of that that was the limit this sex worker then said well no I'm not going to cut your penis off Brandis then started begging and pleading he offered him all the money he had all of his worldly belongings obviously the sex worker completely refused and the pair went their separate ways but later this sex worker came back came kind of out and publicly said actually yeah he wanted this." So. When Bert Brandis met Armin Mivis online, it must have felt like magnets kind of being drawn to one another. He replied to Armin's wanted ad and the pair chatted until they realized the other was definitely serious, and they both needed to know that the other person absolutely meant this. Soon, it was time. So Brandis sold all of his personal belongings, including his car, he erased his hard drive. All of this was in preparation for what he saw as the big day and it was on the 9th of March 2001 that he took the day off work, told Renee he was going on a work trip, bought a one-way ticket on the train to Castle which was where Myvis was then waiting and he'd then drive him a couple of hours to his house. On the way back to Mivus' house the pair stopped at a pharmacy for painkillers and then finally it was time. When they got back to the house they had sex and... It was now kind of that moment Mivis could fulfil his fantasy he'd been dreaming about for four decades and Brandis could have his penis bitten off and eaten before he was killed as he said was his desire. Brandis did actually briefly back out of the agreement at one point but then he swallowed 20 sleeping pills, some cough syrup and a bottle of schnapps to kind of try and go through with it. So it is interesting, I think this point is quite an interesting element. He did for a second, have a moment of doubt, but then he decided that was kind of the best way for him to get through this. Mivis made sure to videotape the ordeal, so it's definitely on camera that Brandis is saying, "Just do it like now, do it, meaning bite off my penis." So what comes next is really sickening, and I can only apologize for having to describe it, but you can't do this episode without describing it, and I'll try not to go into too much detail. But Mivis basically recorded all four hours of the mutilation. Small sections of the video were shown at the trial, and I just can't imagine having to be the police who found it and had to watch it or members of the court. But without going into too much detail, Mivis really tried to do what Burt Brandis wanted, but he couldn't bite off the other man's penis. It was just too tough for him to bite through. So he had to resort to using a knife... First of all, sorry, Mark. It doesn't get better, even. I I
0: mean, I'm speechless.
1: Yeah. So he did then try feeding the severed penis to Brandis, but it was too tough to kind of chew as it was. And this was something Brandis, again, was was asking to take part in. So Mavis headed to the hob. He chopped up and fried the penis with salt, pepper, wine and garlic and some of Brandis' own fat that he'd got I think from his leg and then gave a slice sort of he ate a slice himself and he later described the defining moment saying the first bite was of course very strange it was a feeling I can't really describe I'd spent over 40 years longing for it dreaming about it and now I was getting the feeling that I was actually achieving this perfect inner connection through his flesh the flesh tastes like pork but stronger and Then Brandis had a taste as well. He managed one bite of his own penis, but the wound kept bleeding and the continuous blood loss was so extreme that he kept going in and out of consciousness. In kind of the chaos of eating something, and I guess he's just kind of stood there in stunned silence because it's exciting, and then feeding Brandis some of the penis and trying to help the other man, the remainder of the penis burned on the stove, which was a real shame. So he ground it up and fed it to his dog. I just, I don't know why, but that bit creeps me out literally had it cut off for this reason, and you've let it burn?
0: Th- this is my... That's my issue with it. Is it's such an extreme thing to do. Don't fuck it up. And he's fucked it up. And there's some things that you just don't want to know. You don't want to know that this guy's flesh tasted like pork, but stronger. We should never know that. And now we know it.
1: So Mivis then drew Brandis a bath and left him there to go and read a Star Trek book. And he checked in on Brandis every 15 minutes, keeping him dosed up on painkillers, sleeping pills and alcohol. And as we discussed earlier, it's obvious to all of us that murder is a crime. And of course, at this time in Germany, murder was illegal, but cannibalism wasn't. So if this pair had been eating one another without Brandis being killed, the outcome would have been very different for Mivis. But of course, Brandis wanted to die. And with Brandis dead, Mivis could then eat human flesh for a long time. So after hours of Brandis drifting in and out of consciousness, Mivis knew he needed to put him out of his misery and pain. So after some time praying, Myvis kissed Brandis on the forehead and stabbed him in the throat and he said of this moment, my friend enjoyed dying death. I only waited horrified for the end after doing the deed. It took so terribly long and now it was time to butcher his prey. So Myvis hung Brandus's body on a meat hook to drain and then he began the job of dismembering it on a butcher's block.
0: I'm so glad I'm actually not hungover this time that we're recording because I think I'd have probably vomited by this point if I was.
1: It's horrible isn't it? When I was researching this I was just sort of sat there like this is
0: oh. The thought of a a human being putting another human being onto a meat hook is just yeah I can picture it. I've seen stuff like that in horror films like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's It's horrible to think that this was for real. And, you know, there's there's some elements of this. It's so bizarre that you you almost, it's so shocking, you almost laugh at parts of it. But yeah, that this guy has lost his life and he he might say that he was a willing participant in that. But actually, was he truly willing or was he mentally ill?
1: For me as well, it's the fact that Myvis has prepped this room in his house where he's got a butcher's block, he's got a meat hook... I I think it was on a podcast that I listened to or it might have been something I read where they talked about how people would come round to the house but obviously nobody would know that this room was there because it was upstairs and you don't tend to go upstairs in someone's house. So um, I'm not sure for definite where this room was but he's got a meat hook and somewhere to drain blood in the house. He's properly prepared. So separating the flesh into meal-sized portions, Myris then prepped the... I don't know how to put this but I guess you'd say joints of meat. Um, He parceled the majority up ready to go into the freezer. He kept the promise that he had made and and then buried Brandis's skull and any inedible parts in the garden and he treated his friend with his version of care. It's weird to say but this is apparently how he saw it, how he meant it and to be honest, I kind of get it. If you're going to treat the person with respect, you don't just throw away parts of them. You're going to eat what you can, and the bits you can't, you give a proper burial. This isn't someone like, um, if you think about like Dennis Nielsen or something, where it was so horrific when people went into when the police went into his house. And I feel like this is really looking after yeah. Anderson his remains in Mavis's own way.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because with Nilsson, it was all about disposing of the bodies and the easy way for him to do that was to boil them up in parts and then separate the flesh from the bone and flush it down the toilet, for example. Yeah. With this, it, he, yeah, he is treating this body like it is a piece of meat and giving it the respect that it should be afforded. And in the way that you probably would if you slaughtered an animal, there is an element of respecting how that's done whether you agree with it or not but yeah it's I just can't marry the two of them up because this is a human being.
1: Mm. So once all the work was completed Mivis took some time to set the table really nicely he laid it with nice candles his best dinner service and he crafted a meal for himself so he fried a piece from Brandis's back a piece that he called a rump steak and he served it with something he called princess potatoes, a peppery sauce, some sprouts, and a glass of red wine, and then he sat down to eat. So over months then, the self-titled Rottenberg cannibal lived up to his name, kind of making his way through this freezer stock of meat and just being able to eat human flesh when he wanted, thanks to the person he called his friend, Burnt Brandis. Renee reported Burnt missing when he didn't get back from his work trip as expected but there were no real leads for the police Brandis wasn't vulnerable in any way he had clearly chosen to leave when he did he'd sold items of his possessions and as I mentioned earlier Brandis had also cleared his hard drive so no one had any idea what he'd actually been planning to do whilst Renee knew in his heart something bad had happened the police closed off the case saying it was most likely that he was just a grown adult who had chosen to go Renee didn't give up but there wasn't really much he could do and I f- I really feel for Renee in this whole scenario. I do. Yeah. Just completely in the dark with all of this. I think
0: I think I feel for him in two ways because I feel for him at this point when he's in the dark, his loving partner, partner who I'm sure he loved too, has just disappeared and walked out in his entire life and he probably didn't see that coming. So that would leave a lot of questions and that's awful. But then I also feel for him for when he finds out what actually happened. That Bert had been living this yeah. double life and fantasizing about this happening to him, you would really feel like you never really knew that person, and that's horrible to to have to deal with that. So he's he's dealing with the loss in two ways. It's really really sad, and I wonder. I hope mm. he's he's almost in having a good that place loss now,
1: like three ways, isn't he? Because he's at the the loss at the beginning where he's not sure what's happened for definite. Then he's told for definite that his partner's dead and then he finds out the truth of what was going on. So yeah, I, I'm i like, I'm with you. I hope that he finds some sort of peace in the, at some point in his life. Armin was getting to the end of his stash of meat by November 2002, so he headed back to his cannibal chat rooms, hoping to find someone else who was interested in something similar once again. And this time, he was also able to describe what he wanted in more detail. He could explore what he'd done before. He could explain to people what he could do and what was good about it and what he enjoyed. But then that was just going too far, really. So authorities were alerted in that December because a student reported him to the police. The student had been shocked by the level of detail that Mivus had given when describing what he'd done previously in an attempt to prove how serious he was. So the police raided his home. They had come to arrest him on suspicion of glorification of violence, which then gave them the opportunity to search. When they entered the property, they found a false bottom in his freezer and pounds and pounds of flesh. And whilst Mivis said it was wild boar meat, there were human remains found on the property. They did release Armin to investigate further whilst identifying the remains. But sadly, Renee's fears had come true. And after those worries and fears the truth was, like we said, probably a million times worse than what he was even imagining. He's then got all of this to kind of come to terms with as well. Mivis confessed in the end and told the police about the video he'd made. He explained how he'd ingested not just Burnt's physical state, but also his masculinity and his skills. He told them about the consensual act that had happened between the two men. And the officers found the footage of his killing and they realised he really had been telling them the truth. But Myvis continued to be adamant that he had only done what Brandis had said. He was adamant that this was not killing, it was assisted suicide, whereas the police obviously were saying, well, you're telling us the truth that you've eaten him, but you've murdered him. Myvis was diagnosed with schizonoid personality disorder, but he was deemed fit to stand trial. So the proceedings began on December the 3rd, 2003, amidst much controversy. So the case attracted considerable media attention and started a huge debate over whether Mivis could be convicted at all. Because, of course, Brandis had voluntarily taken part in the cannibalism. He'd entered Mivis' house fully aware of his intentions. And German lawyers quickly realised that cannibalism was, in fact, totally legal in Germany. So they charged Mivis with murder for the purposes of sexual pleasure and with disturbing the peace of the dead. Can you imagine being in the room when you all kind of realise that actually cannibalism is legal? Because you all kind of figured it wasn't. You and would. That you of course. were going to have an open and shut case. And then suddenly.
0: Yeah, common sense would tell you that, of course, it's illegal and we can throw the book at this guy. And then to find out it's not, it's almost embarrassing, isn't it? For that country to know that we don't have legislation that prevents people doing this to each other.
1: Hmm. At the trial, 19 minutes of the video showing key moments of the crime was shown to the court after the reporters and the public were all removed. And we've spoken lots before, haven't we, about how a jury may not know what they're going to be sitting through. Of course, they can't know prior to the trial, but then they may have to see and hear just absolutely horrific things.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's all, all in the name of public service, but equally, the damage it can do to people... And I'm sure they'd be excused from ever having to sit on a jury ever again. But the damage is done, isn't it? You can't undo what you've seen and heard.
1: It's like when they say, um, jury, you need to remove that comment from your memory. Like, don't let that influence you. But you've heard it now. I always think that's really tricky. You've heard and seen something. You can't ever forget that. So, there was no doubt Mivus had killed and eaten Brandis. But what did the court think? Did they feel he was guilty? And what did they think he was guilty of? So, on the 30th of January 2004, Mivus was convicted of manslaughter and he was sentenced to eight years and six months in prison. What are your thoughts on that?
0: I think the way you've explained it, it, it does make sense. I think if you remove the kind of gruesome element of this story... And just look at the bare facts of it. To me, it is almost. To me, it is more of an assisted suicide than manslaughter. Um, actually, so I'm not surprised that he wasn't convicted of murder. And obviously, they can't levy any charges at him around cannibalism because that's not an illegal act. So I'm actually not. I, I kind of knew of the case briefly, but I'd completely forgotten about what happened in the end, the charges, and oh, what no. he was convicted and this
1: is, of. This is it. Like there is obviously. Mivis was the same as you he was kind of like it's definitely assisted suicide but then there was the retrial that was kind of the thing where the prosecutors wanted a retrial from the point of view as they said it's murder it's not manslaughter manslaughter is too of a lesser charge but Mivis was kind of arguing it's too high of a charge I need a retrial because you need to put me down as assisted suicide like it was really interesting the retrial kind of came from both sides yeah
0: what do you think though?
1: I think manslaughter is correct because I feel like he knew that his friend... Like, he definitely did the act of killing. And he knew that his friend wanted to die. But I feel like his friend wanted to die by having his penis cut off. He he actually ended up stabbing him in the neck. And he didn't put him out of his misery quickly or anything. He left him in a bath. I think there's a lot more to it than just doing what your friend asked. He, he didn't just do what his friend had said. But... I don't know. But this is it. So he was sentenced to eight years and six months in prison for the manslaughter charge, but because he was adamant that this was assisted suicide and the prosecutors were adamant that he should have been convicted of murder, there was then a retrial. So that began on the 12th of January 2006. And this is where, like you said, where you kind of get to the end of this case and you you find out kind of what society thinks, I suppose, is the way to put this, not what these two men felt. So the prosecutors questioned the actual reasoning for Brandis killing as being a way to satisfy Myvis's own sexual desires rather than obliging Brandis's and his own request. So they kind of described the video as a way of reliving the act for Myvis rather than being proof it was consensual. I still think he videoed it as consensual but he admitted to masturbating over the footage in the months afterwards. I reckon that he... Initially, videoed it not for that me- for that reason. I think he probably videoed it to get the consent and to also have it on record that he's done this. But he couldn't almost help it being mixed up and sexual as well. Uh, I don't um, think he could have ever separated those two things. I, I
0: think it was twofold. I think. It, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was to provide evidence that it was consensual that was probably the main reason but it's all also like a trophy is he would have known at the time that this would allow him to relive that fantasy that he's then carried out so yeah I think he knew that he would be watching that and getting off on it
1: and I I keep thinking that it's to do with consent however I do have like a niggle in the back of my mind where I think I don't think he ever thought he'd get caught so whilst he knew he had to hide these things because the the police didn't find the video until he confessed to it. The police didn't know what they were actually dealing with until he confessed. And then he told them where to find the video. So he'd hidden it so well. I I do think it's for consent purposes. But however, I don't think he ever thought he'd get caught. So maybe it is just purely sexual. And but then equally, that being said, Brandis knew that that was his fantasy and Brandis was still on board. So It's almost a does that matter whether it was sexual or not because Brandis knew. The reason is, is because if you do something with with a sexual motive, that's when it can then be a crime. So makes sense from a court point of view. And then the prosecution at the appeal trial were keen to reiterate that they felt Brandis was not capable of making any proper decisions on the evening of the 9th of March. So yes, he had gone there. Yes, he'd agreed to do all of this. But by the point of his penis actually being chopped off, he'd consumed significant amounts of alcohol and drugs. So he couldn't actually fully consent at that moment.
0: That's the interesting bit to me because I think, yeah, yeah. I, I can't. Isn't that
1: really fascinating? I, I can't
0: argue with that. Uh, so I can see murder being the correct charge there.
1: Yeah. But then you kind of get to the point of thinking, well, if someone makes a decision prior to then taking a load of pain relief, but they've already gone to somewhere like Dignitas, for example, where it is a, a, is a actually a legal thing that you can do. But they signed the paperwork prior, but then they've done something in the mean. T- I don't know. I don't know what the rules are around that. Maybe you're not allowed to. Maybe you are allowed to. I don't know. There's so much to this, isn't there, where it, it's just not black and white. So at this retrial, a psychologist stated that Mivus could re-offend and said he still had fantasies about devouring the flesh of young people. Um, so this psychiatrist, psychologist had kind of really studied him. There was a lot more at this second trial that looked at the actual act, whereas I feel like the first trial was almost just, well, is this illegal or not? That was kind of the thing. At this second trial, they seemed to have had more time to really look at why they were wanting to convict him. So on the 10th of May in 2006, a court in Frankfurt convicted Mivis of murder and they changed his initial eight and a half year sentence to life imprisonment. Interestingly, when speaking to a German newspaper in the years afterwards, Mivis actually expressed regret for his actions and said he wanted to write a biography. But that the aim of that was to deter anyone wanting to follow in his footsteps and there were loads of websites that cropped up dedicated to Myvis, where people were advertising for willing victims. And he was really against this. And he actually said they, could, they should go for treatment so it doesn't escalate like it did with me. So after the fact and after some medication, I assume, because he's been diagnosed with um, his mental health issue, his schizoid, schizoid personality disorder, um, he's actually then come out and said it's not right what he did. And so in that aspect, then actually, yeah. Is he almost saying that it is murder because he shouldn't have even got to that point?
0: Or is he expressing remorse with a view to getting paroled and getting released, which wouldn't ever happen if he didn't express regret at this Mm. so you don't know he but then equally most of me thinks that yeah you're right he's now medicated for that mental health illness and can think more clearly and logically and can see that it was totally wrong Mm. well it's completely put me off eating today bethan there you go
1: yeah Mm, fine yeah
0: yeah that he's got that has got to be the (gasps) sickest case that we have ever covered
1: but equally whilst it is just abhorrent the idea of the act one of those it's one of those cases though where it's a lot of consent and a lot of decisions made by people that it's almost not as sickening maybe i'm just i've been a bit desensitized like desensitized to this now because i've been immersed in cannibalism for about a week and a half but it's one of those cases that for me now doesn't even seem as bad as some of the other cases we've covered where people are a victim and an actual victim rather than potentially someone who's seen as consenting and has chosen to be there.
0: I think it's just that it's so graphic, isn't it? It's the, yeah. It th- is. The intent isn't there in terms of that real like malice that we see with other perpetrators. It's not, but yeah the the graphic details it's yeah it's shocking
1: so there we go guys thank you for listening this week
0: <laughs> yeah hopefully you uh managed to get to the end without feeling ill and we'll be back next week for another episode hopefully less gruesome next time so we will see you then